carrying on through Isaiah today. I'm interested to know if anyone's been reading Isaiah for themselves or any of it, any bits. Oh, Cade, always the goody two-shoes sitting in the front row. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> oh, someone at the back. Well done. Fantastic. Yeah, it's good to hear. I was hoping a few people might read something for me. Who's not going to be freaked out if I give them a piece of paper to read later on? Yeah? Well, I've kind of got it all... It's kind of, sorry, excuse my messy tearing. That's the first one. The second one. Are you gentlemen happy to read? Yeah? So the third one and the fourth one. Okay? So it starts with Papa and kind of goes around the corner, but not till the end. I'll tell you when. You can just put it down for now. <laughs> yeah, so we've been talking about Isaiah. Is that too loud? feels really loud. We've been talking about how this section of Isaiah that we're going through, 40 to 43 roughly and a lot more further on, um, really presents this theme of servanthood, you know, the call or the vocation of God's people to servanthood. And you see in Isaiah, of course, Isaiah's call, his call to become a sent one, a servant of God, um, and the people of Israel being called as God's people to be God's servants and how we are invited into that calling as well, to be God's servants and God's sent ones. So how did Israel do at being good servants? Pass or fail? Fail? Yeah. <laughs> fail. Both sometimes, yeah. And, and what about us? How do we go at being God's servants? You don't have to answer that. Because, you know, I'm pretty sure we all have those times where, you know, sometimes, you know, we're, we're feeling like the Spirit's moving through us and we're connecting and we're kind of really feeling a sense of being in the plan of God. But I know, at least for myself, there's other times where you can look back on a week or a month or a year and kind of go, well, what happened there? You know, I didn't live up to my calling. You know, I got impatient. Um, I lost my temper. I went at 110 past the speed camera um, and, you know, stuff happens and we can go, oh, I'm sorry, God. Um, and I think the chapter that, of Isaiah that we're going to read today is a great cause for hope when we have those moments where we really feel that we haven't lived up to the calling of God. Um, today we're going to look at Isaiah 42 um, and it introduces this new servant of the Lord, so Isaiah jumps back and forth a bit. It can be sometimes tricky to work out who he's speaking to and who he's speaking about at various times. So just, you know, reviewing back into Isaiah 41, God is clearly speaking to his people in a number of those passages. And let me read to you one of my favourite bits because we should review it. You, Israel, my servant, from the ends of the earth I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you and help you. So beautiful, so encouraging. At other times in Isaiah, he actually picks out a particular person, identifies a particular person as a servant. And just to complete the historical picture... If you jump ahead to Isaiah 44 and 45, it starts to speak of this person, Cyrus. And God says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will save Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue the nations before him. 
it's such a, an interesting idea because Cyrus is the king of Persia, this pagan king that God has decided to use to accomplish his purpose. And if you know the story, Persia destroys Babylon or attacks Babylon and defeats Babylon where the people of God are and he allows the people of Babylon to return home uh, to rebuild the temple. And, you know, this, this pagan king is prophesied in advance, this historical event prophesied in advance and this man, Cyrus, who, who is used by God. But Isaiah 42 it's, is different. Uh, let me read to you um, 42, 1 to 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God, the, the Lord, says, the creator of the heavens who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth, with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Anyone know where in the Gospels that passage is quoted? At least the verse four verses. It's in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is going around healing people and doing amazing stuff. And uh, Matthew says this in uh, chapter 12, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And he, he quotes those first four verses of chapter 42. So it's really clear that this particular chapter is a prophecy about Jesus. And Matthew says it's fulfilled, you know, in in the work of Jesus coming. So this uh, chapter, um, Isaiah 42, is known as one of the servant songs in Isaiah. So there's four servant songs in Isaiah where Isaiah switches into this mode of prophesying about Jesus and the coming of Jesus. You can read the other ones. Isaiah 49, 50 and 52 to 53. Great way to prepare for Easter, by the way, reading the servant songs. Um, And it's amazing the detail you get about the life and ministry of Jesus in in these passages. Actually get more things out of it than that are in the Gospels. So it's really important to reflect back on the prophets. So why is this passage here in this part of Isaiah? Why does he suddenly break into this prophecy about Jesus? Um, You know, as we've said, Isaiah is starting to speak about this calling to servanthood and the call of Israel to servanthood. And yet Israel failed. And yet um, at this point, Isaiah still sees that there's hope. Despite the fact that Israel has not lived up to the calling of servanthood, there's hope because coming in the future is the perfect servant. He's going to be raised up and this servant will succeed where Israel has failed. And and through this servant, Israel and all of God's people um, are going to be empowered to be the servants that we were meant to be. 
You know, it's this, I think there's a certain mystery in it. We, we offer what we can to God. We, it's like the, the loaves and the fishes. You know, we don't have that much to offer at times, but we offer in service what we have. And because Jesus has come before us and he's become this perfect servant, somehow our offering is taken up in him and, and, and he makes us enough. And as we get closer to him and follow in his steps, follow in the steps of this perfect servant, in turn we're transformed and changed to become more like him and more like the servants we were supposed to be. And we become closer and closer to to the perfect, well, not to the perfect thing, but we we come closer to the calling that's on our life and we live closer to that calling in this perfect servant. So it's a beautiful picture, and it's a beautiful picture of hope for those of us who who are weak and know that that we we don't fully live up to our calling. So today I want us to reflect on the characteristics of this perfect, perfect servant. Three characteristics, that he's a king. He's a king and and a servant king. That he's a healing king, and that he's a suffering king. So he's a king. One of the first things that's mentioned about this perfect servant is that he will bring justice, bring justice to the nations. Bringing justice is something that a king does. The king comes and by the exercise of his power or authority, he sets things right. But the interesting thing about this servant or this king is that he doesn't cry out in the streets. What does it say? He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. So this king doesn't seek to control public discourse or public, you know, conversation. He doesn't impose his rule by force. He comes and gets the results of a king without the usual methods of a king. And when Jesus um, was baptised, when he came up from the water, what did the voice from heaven say? Anyone remember? Yep, this is my son, whom I love, who I am well pleased. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the footnote in your Bible, you don't have to know any fancy extra stuff, you'll see that... um, There's a footnote that says, well, this refers to two parts of the Old Testament. One, it's an echo back to Psalm 2, verse 7. In Psalm 2, there's a picture of a warrior king who's installed in Zion. And it says that this king is a son. And when the voice from heaven says, you are my son, there's that echo back to this warrior king. But there's also an echo to Isaiah 42, 1. The son in whom I'm well pleased. It's an echo of the servant in whom I delight. And so it's this picture of this dual characteristic of Jesus, a warrior king and yet this humble, meek servant. It's these two things found together in his character. You know, when you called up to to speak at the last minute, it's always cool to kind of go online and look at other people's sermons on this topic and uh, I, I don't know if you know, Murray's meant to be here, but he's got COVID. So um, I started reading a sermon of the great preacher, Jonathan Edwards, a great American pre- preacher. I don't know when he lived, 1800s or something. And he's got this message uh, called, it's a little bit of a mouthful, a little bit of old English. Bear with me. Um, there is an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Jesus Christ. Admirable conjunction, two things joined together, right? Diverse 
different excellencies in Jesus Christ. He says, the lion and the lamb, though very diverse kinds of creatures, yet each have their peculiar excellencies. The lion excels in strength and the majesty of his appearance and voice. The lamb excels in meekness and patience and being suitable to be offered in sacrifice to God. But we see that Christ is compared to both because the diverse excellencies of both wonderfully meet in him. That that sort of grabbed me, that picture, um, the richness of who this man Jesus, our God Jesus is. It kind of just drew my heart to that sense of worship for all that he is. And, you know, as we worship him for those qualities, those qualities are also meant to be reproduced in us. The boldness and the confidence to go forth in his mission, but with the tenderness and gentleness of, of his servant heart. So he's a servant king. He's also a healing king. I think some, these, this next little bit is some of the most beautiful um, parts of scripture where he says a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out you know that word bruised is probably a little bit not strong enough in the English language we might might say oh it's just a bruise but this has the sense of being crushed you know a deep wound like maybe even a death blow the reed is so broken it can't stand up it can no longer produce any grain But this is the one that Jesus is drawn to. The um, smouldering wick, that sense when you're in your faith in a place where you're just kind of clinging by your fingertips and, you know, you don't feel like you've got anything left. Well, that's the place where Jesus wants to meet you, that place where you're a smouldering wick. This saviour of ours is drawn to hopeless cases, Think of how he ministered when he was here, the people he ministered to, the woman um, caught in the act of adultery and he stoops down to be at her level. You know, the lepers that no one else wanted to go near, he was the one that reached out and touched touched them. The prostitutes that came and cried at his feet, he didn't send them away. This is the kind of God that we serve, this God with an amazing heart, a heart for the broken, a heart for the crushed, Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's, he's not only the lamb, he's described as the mother hen, the physician, the dove, all these pictures of this beautiful tenderness and mercy. Christ is so merciful, he never breaks the weakest reed. He's always there for us and we should never fear to put our lives back in his hands. I think there can be a tendency when we feel we failed, we know we've done something wrong, to kind of hide. But we never need to do that with this saviour. We can always come to him knowing his tenderness, knowing his mercy. And we're also invited and reminded to go out with that heart for others. And I want to ask you today, is there someone in your world that you know is a bruised reed or a smouldering wick? And I want to challenge you today. I love that song that you did, um, you know, lead us to those that, what is it? What's the line? Yeah, yeah, that, that really struck me. And that sense that God wants to call us to those people. 
And it might just be sitting with them. It might just be taking them for lunch. You might not get a chance to talk about the saviour, but making that start and showing them that tenderness, I think, is is something that I've really been thinking about on on this um, in this chapter. So he's a healing king, um, but his healing also extends beyond the individual. Not just individual healing here. It says, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter till he establishes justice on the earth. I think the first thing we think about when we think about justice is um, what people call rectifying justice, like when a judge comes and makes a decision and someone gets a punishment. But the old covenant idea of justice was much broader than that. It meant bringing everything in right relationship And when Jesus comes in the end to fulfil his justice, there'll be no longer any need for rectifying justice because everything will be brought into perfect relationship. There'll be this perfect justice where everything is is operating in the right way. Um, I was riding my bike home and there was this snake on the the ground, on the bike path as I was riding home and I thought, I'm going to stop and take a photo of it. I put it on my Facebook page And I said, oh, yuck, look at this nasty snake. And one of my environmentalist friends um, criticised me in the comments. He said, Cathy, you shouldn't call that snake nasty, you know. It's it's just trying to keep out of your way. (laughs) And um, because this guy is is not a believer, I wanted to interact with him. And I said, yeah, I'll try and love all God's creatures, um, Mark, but, you know, snakes... But I said, one day I'm going to love them. And I quoted, there's another passage from Isaiah, you know, where it says that the child will put their hand into the cobra's um, den or whatever it is. And I said, one day it's going to be easy to love snakes, Mark, you know. And, and that's the picture of the perfect world, of course, the new heaven and the new earth when everything will be made right. And, and, and you know, we look forward to that that the fullness of the kingdom of God coming when Jesus returns, this fullness of um, the kind of society where everything is right, where there are no more wars and and famines and and that kind of stuff. I think um, sometimes as Christians, we can just think of that as a future thing. Oh, well, you know, the world's messed up. We'll just sit here and and try and get a few people saved and just wait and and when Jesus comes... He'll deal with all this other stuff. But, you know, that's not really to line up with the way Jesus taught us to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, he said, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's meant to be a daily cry. And, you know, it's wonderful to be working, um, helping people in, in Ukraine because we're seeking that. Lord, you know, that's not how the world's meant to be with war. We, we want your justice to come now. And we participate in that now, even though we know we can't um, see a completion of that until Jesus returns. Yet we're called to participate in bringing justice and working and following this saviour, walking in his steps is to walk in justice. And of course we need wisdom for that because there's so many good causes and you can't contribute to all of them. Um, But I believe it's something that should be on our hearts if we're following this saviour who is about justice. I think it was really exciting this week. I don't know if you heard in the budget speech this week, um, right down in the bottom notes that nobody ever cares all that much about, 16,000 more places for people from Afghanistan. I think that's a wonderful thing, you know, and I saw a little clip by um, that pastor, Tim Costello, who's big on, on justice. 
And the comment he made was that it was a, a beautiful campaign um, that Christians entered into Christians for Afghanistan online to lobby the government on this issue because it was Christians not only on the right side of politics but also on the left actually working together for a change and both saying this is not okay what is happening in Afghanistan. Surely we can make some more space here in our country for these people who are hurting. So for me that's a beautiful example of what it is um, to follow in the steps of this saviour who wants, wants to bring justice. Of course, we can't do that out of, outside of a right relationship with God. We have to be made right with God so that we can bring um, his righteousness to others. And there's that point in verse 6 um, where God says, I will take hold of your hand, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. So this servant invites us into a covenant relationship with God invites us to turn from our um, living apart from God and turn back to God and, and be in this relationship with him. And it's in that place our, our eyes become open. We're the blind and our eyes become open to, to how we're meant to be in relationship with God. We're not meant to live off on our own. We're meant to be in this covenant relationship. And as our eyes are opened, then we can also minister out of that and um, minister the release from, from the dungeon and those who sit in darkness. So Jesus is this servant king, and Jesus is this healing king. He's this perfect servant, but we call to walk in his steps and become more and more like him. And as a community, I want you to think, what, what's that going to look like as a community as we follow this perfect servant as we seek his, the empowering of his spirit to love like he loves. What is it going to look like? I want you to reflect, um, because I want you to get as much out of Isaiah over these four weeks as we can, I, I think there's a beautiful picture of what it looks like in Isaiah 61. Now, of course, this is quoted also in the New Testament in Luke's Gospel where Jesus goes to the temple and he takes down the Isaiah scrolls and he reads Isaiah 61 and he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And as we follow in his ministry, this is he's talking about his ministry, but we're invited to enter into his ministry, this is what it's going to look like. And I just changed one word from me to us because I want you to hear that this is about us. So you guys are going to read around the, the little loop there. Thank you. I love that passage. I love the picture that that brings to mind of what we're called to do as a community in ministering to others. Finally, this servant is a suffering king. And I'm going to cheat and flip ahead to Isaiah 53, which is um, part of one of the other servant songs that prophesies about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. So he was bruised and crushed. This one who goes out to the one who is a bruised reed, he himself was bruised and he himself was crushed. He took rectifying justice into himself so that he could bring perfect justice out to the earth. He did that for us and for the whole world so that one day everything can be restored and perfect justice could come. So I want to just invite you to go back yourself and read these passages and prepare your heart to worship him, especially at Easter this time, as we think about all that he's done for us. And again, I want to invite you to say to God, ask God, hey, is there someone in my life who's a bruised reed? Is there someone that you could bring me to encourage and to minister this amazing love of the Saviour to this week? Is that okay? Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you and are just in awe of who you are, this beautiful Saviour, the Lion, the Lamb, the Servant, the King. We thank you for your merciful heart and we pray that you would put um, your mercy in our hearts for those around us, that you would send us out to them, that you'd help us to see those people who are broken, those people who feel like they've got no hope left, and that we could go and just speak a word that would encourage them, bless them in some way. We pray that you would identify those people for us and help us to walk in your steps to help them. We pray and thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made, that you took judgment onto yourself, that we could have life and spread life out. God, um, help us to do that. Help us to know you this Easter more and more and help us to worship you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.